0: The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined, as always, by Avi Cooper and Tony
1: Brew. Hey, guys. Hey,
2: Hannah. I'm here, too. (laughs) Good to see (laughs) y'all.
1: I'm here to have a lot to say.
0: (laughs) So, in this episode, we are going to tackle a superpower that exists within all of us. No, humans have not figured out how to time travel, leap tall buildings in a single bound, we are instead going to unpack how the liver manages to regenerate if part of it is resected or after cellular injury. So Avi, why superpowers? Why the liver?
2: It really is remarkable, I think, that the liver has this ability to regenerate. And as you said, it is a biological superpower, I think. And I sort of I feel like the liver is a bit of an unsung hero in medicine. It's sort of a workhorse, right? It's this tremendously resilient organ that just like trucks along and, you know, does all these jobs that it has to keep us alive. But one of the reasons that it can truck along like it does over the course of our lifetime is this regenerative ability to heal from injury. You know, but as we'll see, the liver it can withstand and bounce back from not just one but two distinct types of injury, so it's really an amazing organ.
1: So you've mentioned this idea of regeneration and you know, I think about, you know, if I cut myself, my skin kind of like regrows and obviously my hair to some extent, not a great extent, regrows. But I think it'd be valuable for us to understand what the idea of regeneration is more generally and sort of what body parts are able to do that, particularly sort of the like solid organs um, you know, beyond the skin and the hair.
2: Yeah, you know, re- regeneration is, as you said, is the ability to regrow tissue after a portion of it has been damaged or removed. And certain parts of the body regenerate all the time, like like the skin, like you said, or the mucosa of the intestines. But you know, in terms of internal organs that regenerate in any significant way, it's really just the liver. Maybe the lungs do a little bit over a very long timescale. We'll probably cover that in another episode at some point. Peripheral nerve axons can too, right? But the liver is really a class of its own. It is so, so good at regenerating.
0: Yeah, it really delivers. So I think I, I kind of imagine like salamanders, regrowing limbs, stuff like that. like that's what it sort of evokes to me. Do animals regenerate, too, right?
2: Yeah, totally, totally. Right? Like lots, lots of animals can regenerate parts of their bodies, right? Like so salamanders and their limbs, like you said, you know, uh, lizards can regrow severed tails. Deer regenerate their antlers each year. Even sharks, they regenerate like thousands of tiny teeth that they have in their mouths. It's just sort of constant. It seems to be a normal part of complex animal life. But and the liver, you know, it it seems to it 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 seems to have evolved this ability about five hundred million years ago in the Cambrian period. Really, when livers as a distinct organ in those like really sort of early, uh, you know, vertebrates emerged as a distinct organ in its own right. So basically from the beginning of the existence of livers, regeneration has been part of its repertoire.
1: It's funny. I remember in biology class, the pl- I think it was the planaria where you'd like cut its head in half and it regrew. Is that vaguely familiar to you guys?
2: First time hearing of that. <laughs> I believe you.
1: Yeah, I might be making that up. But nonetheless, the liver <laughs> yeah, clearly... That sounds right. Yeah, the liver can clearly regenerate. So, okay, you know, 500 million years ago, Cambrian period, I don't think anyone was looking at their liver and being like, wow, look at this observation, it can regenerate. So, the the question becomes, like, how long has it been that there's been this observation that the liver can... Regrow after injury or after partial removal. Like, like, has this been something that was known for hundreds of years, or is it a more recent observation?
2: So it potentially a really long time, right? So amazingly, the ancient Greeks may have had some working knowledge of the liver's regenerative ability. And that's evidenced by the myth of Prometheus, which you may have heard of, right? So that myth has come back into the popular imagination recently because of the movie Oppenheimer, which was based on the book American Prometheus, because Robert Oppenheimer and his role in developing the first atomic bomb, Prometheus as a mythological character was portrayed by the greek poet hesiod as having given humanity the ability to use fire after stealing it from zeus and zeus then punished him by binding him to a mountaintop and then having an eagle eat his liver every day but every night prometheus's liver would regrow and sort of regenerate and then the eagle would then come back again and eat it again basically for all eternity so it's you know it's been questioned by some scholars whether this implies like an actual you know knowledge of liver regeneration on the part of the ancient Greeks, because I don't know, this doesn't really show up like in anywhere else aside outside this sort of Greek mythology stuff. So, and it is worth mentioning that there's another ancient Greek myth, um, one with a giant named Tidius, um, that mentions liver regeneration. But again, it is sort of limited to mythology. So, uh, it may be that this reference to regeneration in Prometheus that it's more symbolic because the ancient Greeks believed that the liver housed a person's soul, and Prometheus was sort of like. Helping sort of like found modern humanity in that way, um, so we don't really know.
0: Wow, that's like a that's just such a great connection, though. When did modern medicine kind of catch up to the times in terms of in a, a determining that that livers could regenerate like this?
1: Are you trying to argue that Prometheus? Having his liver eaten and regenerated is not modern medicine,
0: Anna. I'm arguing that modern medicine won't acknowledge it unless it's in a journal article. So, right, when was enough. the first published journal article on this I mean topic?
2: It <laughs> certainly seems like a it seems like a big coincidence, right? That it was the liver with Prometheus. I mean, maybe it was, but then there's a sort of yawning silence between you know 3,000 years ago until 1879, when a German surgeon named um, H. Tillman's published a report of his research on rabbits, where you know he would surgically remove pieces of their kidneys and livers, basically just to see what would happen. He was trying to sort of understand how uh, organs healed. So the kidneys would just scar over. But to his immense surprise, the livers and these rabbits would regenerate. They would grow back tissue in the area that he'd cut out and really quickly too. And so, you know, he looked at the tissue under the microscope, there was this like new functioning liver tissue, of, like very vibrant sort of cellular environment where he, where there had been nothing where he'd cut it out. And so that was really the first time that it had been sort of observed scientifically.
1: All right. So rabbit livers may be exactly the same as human livers, but I'm going to want to hear a little bit about, you know, the regenerative capacity of the human liver. So is there any, any evidence for that? I assume there is.
2: Yeah. You know, it's been well established in the surgical literature, especially for things like living donor liver transplantation, where someone donates a portion of their liver um, to a recipient who has hepatic failure, right? And that wouldn't be possible unless the donor's liver could regenerate to some extent. And so and regeneration actually happens in both the transplanted organ and the remnant, right? And so it sort of makes them both whole. They both regrow to normal size within just a few weeks. And there's evidence that you can resect up to 80% of a healthy liver and it will grow back basically to it's the same size it was after the resection. I mean, you know, when they do the living donor transplants, it's they take out a smaller portion of that, but like... You can take out up to 80% of a of a liver and it's going to bounce back. It's 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 incredible.
1: I got to say the idea that like the remaining liver of the re- of the donor is like regenerating and then like what you're putting in the recipient's regenerating that is just such a cool thing to imagine. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. It's it feels
2: just, miraculous.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's just such a
0: testament to the evolutionary necessity of the liver, one, that it it first developed in the Cambrian period, Uh, and two, that it has that much redundancy built into it.
1: Such a good point, because all the hepatologists are listening to this episode being like, thank you. (laughs) That's what we've been saying the whole time. This is why (laughs) we've given too much airtime to the kidneys
0: as the most important organ. Just kidding. Just kidding. We love you, nephrology listeners. Okay. So you have convinced me that livers do regenerate and that that fact has at least been known for over a hundred years. Let's start talking about the mechanism. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this actually happens? Well,
2: it turns out the mechanism depends on which type of regeneration we're talking about. And as we've sort of hinted already and alluded to, the liver can do two distinct types of regeneration after resection and after sort of cellular or toxic injury. So regeneration after resection or partial hepatectomy, where you take out part of the liver, it's what we've been focusing on so far. Um, That's where the part of the liver is physically being removed. Cellular regeneration occurs after things like, you know, injury from ischemia or viral hepatitis, alcohol-induced damage, other toxins, you know, here's looking at you at mushrooms, right? And so why don't we start with this latter type, right? So for cellular regeneration, the source of regenerating s- cells seems to be zone 2 hepatocytes. So recall from medical school, the liver is divided up into functional units called hepatic lobules. Each lobule has three zones that contain hepatocytes, bile ducts, capillaries. And then, you know, blood flows from zone 1 through zone 2 and then goes to a central vein in zone 3. And studies from mice have suggested that it's the zone 2 hepatocytes that seem to be what are sort of doing the actual regeneration. And then they migrate into zones 1 and 3, and they replace like lost or damaged cells there.
1: And is there anything special about the zone 2 hepatocytes that have kind of marked them as the ones that undergo regeneration and, and as opposed to the ones that are in zone 1 and zone 3?
2: There certainly you know, are theories, and they sort, sort of – Gets to the point that Hannah made about the sort of this like core essential um, nature of just having a functional liver. Like we have to complex life, you know, invertebrates requires a functional liver. So you know, like any tele- teleological explanation, there's conjecture, but in this case, it really would make sense from a functional perspective to have zone two be the regenerative zone with cellular injury. So it's in the middle of the hepatic lobule, and so it's sort of a transitional zone between one in zones, one and three, which have these more defined functions, hepatocytes in zone one do oxidative metabolism for things like gluconeogenesis and the hepatocytes in zone three are really sort of exposed to the blood. And they get like, you know, that's, that's where a lot of the detoxification happens. And so zone two, it's sort of like a reservoir for those other zones that are doing these essential functions and sort of bearing the brunt of the work of the liver. And they sort of act as like this reservoir, this pool, helping the other zones sustain their essential functions. So I, I think it's like a really elegant arrangement. And, you know, we're going to explore this more after a short break. This episode is sponsored by Inn Who says you can't vacation in the comfort of your own home? According to Wirecutter and Good Housekeeping, Brooklinen has best-in-class bedding. So if you don't trust us or their 100,000 five-star customer reviews, you know these experts have done their research. Brooklinen uses only the highest quality materials for all of their products, such as long-stable cotton, so everything they create is built to last. Brooklinen is the perfect way to build your own indoor oasis to escape the heat.
1: You know, my family uh, recently traveled on our nice summer vacation, and one of the things that we specifically did was bring our Brooklinen sheets on the trip. I can tell you that when the four of us were, like, nestled in our single king-size bed, uh, we were quite comfortable, uh, even though it was a relatively hot night because the Brooklinen sheets kept us cool and comfortable. They kind of brought our home uh, to a different place, even though it wasn't really our home.
0: That is so cute. All right. If you want a story like that, shop in store or online at brooklinen.com today to give yourself the luxurious sleep you deserve this summer. Use promo code CURIOUS for $20 off your online purchase of $100 or more, plus free shipping on brooklinen.com. That's B R O O K L I N E N dot. C-O-M, use promo code CURIOUS, C-U-R-I-O-U-S, for $20 off
2: plus free shipping. And now back to the episode.
0: All right, so that was regeneration after cellular injury, reminding everybody zone two, this elegant reservoir between zones one and three. What about regeneration after partial hepatectomy or resection?
2: Yeah, you know, there it's more global, right? You see this sort of global on mass hepatocyte proliferation that happens, and there's also hypertrophy of existing cells. So there's there's proliferation and hypertrophy, which is you know again sort of expansion of the size of exi- of existing cells. And each major liver cell type um, undergoes this process: sinusoidal endothelial and bile duct cells, hepatocytes. Um, all of that undergoes regeneration, and then you know within several days to a few weeks. The liver is back to full size and functioning normally. It's you know it's incredible.
1: So, so it may take a few days to weeks to get back to that full size and function, but how soon does this process begin?
2: Within minutes, like really, literally, almost instantly. Hold on, minutes, say that again. Minutes. Within minutes, <laughs> like it's just it's it's like it's like the liver is just like poised and ready to do this. So there's animal studies where basically almost instantaneously. There's a change in cytokine and paracrine signaling in the liver. And there's changes to growth factor activity. Hepatocyte gene expression is also altered. And all of this basically switches on a pro-growth milieu right away. And then within an hour, regeneration is sort of up and running. And so I'm like deliberately condensing this into a, a digestible chunk of information for a podcast, but basically like this gene expression and cellular signaling cascade, it gets going. It's really complicated. Like macrophages, sinusoidal endothelial cells, stellate cells, which are sort of like fibroblasts um, that live in the liver, biliary ductal cells, hepatocytes all start talking to each other right after resection. Like sort of like a complex communication network, and they're sending signals like TGF-beta and like other factors, um, like tumor necrosis factor, IL-6. All of these things are sort of communicating with each other with cytokines and um, paracrine signaling, and they're turning on genes that mediate cell growth um, and division. And it's to me, it's sort of like a symphony that just sort of starts up.
1: <laughs> if you couldn't tell uh, during the last few minutes, Avi has been waving his hands quite aggressively. Like uh, a conductor, because <laughs> I think you mentioned, like, yeah, I mean, you like may, a conductor, but you also mentioned about ten or fifteen cytokines uh, as part of your explanation for the regenerative capacity of the liver uh, after resection. Yeah, this is cytokine storm. It's just yeah. Avi waving his hands around. It's it's not. I mean, the, and that's not in any way like a critique. It's just the reality. Very positive. Wish that we had video on this podcast.
2: I don't. Uh, <laughs>
0: okay but so coming back to it who is the conductor of the cytokines like how does the liver even know that it is time to start regenerating yeah Yeah, i I need to know that
2: it's wild right so something has to signal to the liver that damage happened how does it know i sort of wish it was one of those like red alert announcements on star trek next generation but um you know it's it's more of course and you know i will say you know there, there seems to be more known about the triggers for regeneration after resection or partial hepatectomy compared to cellular injury. So we'll focus on the resection stuff cause that's sort of better studied, but you know, perhaps not surprisingly there appears to be more than one trigger. There actually are three main proposed mechanisms for how partial hep- hepatectomy sort of signals that the liver that needs to regenerate. Um, and those three are hemodynamic changes, um, the innate immune response, and Hannah's favorite cell, the platelet.
1: So I suspect Hannah is going to demand to hear about the innate, innate immune response and the platelets. So I got to I got to ask, tell me about the hemodynamic changes, though I will say I am... Interested in hearing about them, independent of the fact that I'm not a hemog fellow.
2: Well, I found this the the hemodynamic explanation to be pretty amazing and also very intuitive. So it turns out that after part of the liver is resected, there's a proportional increase in blood flow to the remaining liver segments. So this results from like the same amount of portal blood flow going to a smaller organ, right? So you know, at least in animal models, that hemodynamic shift it seems to be a crucial trigger for regeneration. Um, There was a study from 2004 um, that used rats that basically they found that the the researchers found that if blood flow to the remnant liver is kept constant after resection, then regeneration didn't occur. So the researchers were able to keep blood flow constant to these rat livers by creating a portosystemic shunt. And so basically like when the shunt was present, which didn't allow for the blood flow to increase relatively to the remnant liver, regeneration didn't happen which I thought was really cool. Um, And one potential mechanism that they identified was that increased blood flow to the remnant segments was required for plasmin to activate hepatocyte growth factor. Basically, it has to like, you know, sort of cleave it and get it into its active form. And then hepatocyte growth factor is like really a key component to like stimulating and sustaining regeneration. And so with the increased blood flow to the remnant segments, that seems to be what activates hepatocyte growth factor.
1: This idea of hemodynamic changes and its effect on, on regeneration and hypertrophy, I, I find particularly fascinating because I I sometimes, as a hospitalist, see patients admitted after um, portal vein embolization where that is done in anticipation of resection of a hepatocellular carcinoma. And the idea there is they're, they're doing these embolizations with the intent of having the patient's normal liver undergo hypertrophy. Then they take out the the cancer, but they want the normal liver cells to grow so that they have like a kind of a bigger, better liver that can do the job before they take out the cancer. And I think there's something similar here to what you're describing that, that I've seen in these patients with um, portal vein embolization. Is that is that sound right? Yeah, it
2: sounds like it's almost like regenerative conditioning beforehand.
1: Right, th- That's exactly right. Yeah, that's a perfect way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it also reminds me, you
0: know, like the this classic finding in Bud Chiari syndrome of the caudate lobe hypertrophy. And I've never thought... Super carefully about what exactly the blood flow is to the caudate lobe, but it sort of makes sense that these hemodynamic shifts end up leading to some kind of either compensatory or responsive hypertrophy. Right. All right. So enough about hemodynamics. (laughs) Let's
2: talk about (laughs) what about the (laughs) platelets.
0: You know, now (laughs) it's all about the platelets. But now that I'm a fellow, you know, I'm gaining appreciation for the other parts
2: of the blood. Well, I found this also to be so cool. Right. The, The the main proposed mechanism for how platelets help start this process is that they migrate into the liver and then they make direct contact with hepatocytes, which then activates growth factors and stimulates hepatocyte proliferation. So that like the physical contact of the platelet on hepatocyte seems to be what sort of stimulates it to start to divide. Um, and this has been shown experimentally too. There was a 2008 study in mice that Um, showed that when platelets made contact with hepatocytes, they did indeed start to proliferate and divide. And there's actually some interesting clinical data as well from the transplant surgical literature, where um, living donor liver transplant recipients who received perioperative platelet transfusion had enhanced graft regeneration at two weeks post-op compared to those who didn't get a platelet transfusion. So this, again, seems to be some clinical evidence that the platelets are really playing an important role.
1: And it's really a cool example of where an observation that, you know, the, the transfusion of platelets perioperatively leads to sort of enhanced graft regeneration can ultimately lead to a potential randomized trial of exactly that therapy. And I, I don't know if that's been done, but this is where these observations play an essential role in advancing care. Ultimately, we have to talk about inflammation because I suspect inflammation is playing a role here. So what's going on there?
2: Yeah, this one felt a little more hand-wavy than the other two, but it makes sense that the inflammatory response to liver injury would also play a role in regeneration. The thinking here seems to be that the innate immune response to liver injury basically involves macrophage activation, which then increases NF-kappa-B and IL-6 signaling, which then stimulates increased hepatocyte survival and proliferation. But I guess to sort of like sort of step back on all three of these mechanisms they all are sort of a response to the damage that happens to the liver so it it's sort of it's a very um very elegant closed loop that changes in blood flow inflammation and platelets which are going to like try to like stop bleeding after resection um are all sort of the keys to you know the sort of turning this process on
1: i just wish it happened for the brain and the heart too you know that, that was nice. got get smarter. Yeah. This
0: really brings me back to being a first year medical student in anatomy lab, and we had a couple of uh, donor donors in our anatomy lab who um, had had, for whatever reason, some liver regeneration. And I just remember the shape of those regenerated livers. and that's how you knew is because they didn't form these like orderly, they didn't look like livers, but they had sort oh, of expanded. and they don't they don't have the same sort of shape as a typical liver. And so, you know, it, it strikes me, what is the thing that eventually tells it to stop and sort right. of dictates that final shape? Because, you know, the liver, the newly regenerating liver cannot take over the entire abdominal cavity.
2: Yeah, it's such an important question. Something has to shut it off. Otherwise, you'd be dealing with hepatocytes that are basically just proliferating totally out of control and growing in size. And you would essentially be dealing with a situation akin to cancer. You know, the answer is that no one really knows for sure, but it probably involves like a combination of growth factors like TGF beta and hepatocyte growth factor, that those two, um, especially binding to the new extracellular matrix that's getting laid down around these regenerating cells as the process progresses. And so that seems to be the signal that turns regeneration off. And you know, if you think about it, Growth factors, extracellular matrix, all of this is being produced from the very beginning of regeneration as soon as it starts. So built into the process is the off switch, right? So as soon as it gets turned on, like the very first stirrings of off are also getting turned on as well. And basically like you reach a certain point where the there's more off signaling than on and the process sort of shuts down. It's just such an elegant, fascinating mechanism how our bodies can do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, even the initial liver that's being created, uh, <clears throat> you know, from the time of embryo to gestation, somehow it's turned off. But the idea that a regenerative liver has to undergo that same process is, is just totally fascinating. So I think Prometheus would be quite proud of your discussion, Avi, but I suspect he'd also want some take-home points. So what do you have?
2: Yeah, so the liver has a biological superpower, and that superpower is called regeneration. Um, Other than possibly the lung, no other internal solid organ can do this. Regeneration after toxic or cellular injury involves zone 2 hepatocyte proliferation, whereas after partial hepatectomy and resection, um, uh, that is triggered by increased portal vein blood flow, as well as inflammation and platelet contact with hepatocytes um, that mediates things like growth factor changes, gene expression, and ultimately regeneration.
1: All right, so that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed show notes delivered directly to your inbox. Physicians and other healthcare professionals can earn CME and MOC credits from VCU Health just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.